на трибунах холеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут, На зеленом ковре стадиона празднат. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Russian Football News Podcast. Now, before we kick the podcast off today, uh, well, just to tell you the themes of it, really, we're going to go into uh, the Confederations Cup uh, review for Russia, at least, because although the tournament's still going on, Russia, the hosts, of course, exited at the group stage. But just to inform the listeners, that uh, we are changing platforms. So we will still remain the Russian Football News Podcast and we'll still do all our usual content. But we're going on to the World Football Index, who are some excellent podcast hosts. And we're hoping with them that we're going to get some some new listeners, if you like, and have a, have a, have a new platform, essentially, and grow this podcast quite a lot. So that's exciting news. And, of course, my two exciting guests join me as per usual. Now, Andrew, I know there's a bit of a problem with the sound this morning, but I'm hoping I'm coming through at least slightly clearly today. Yeah, no problem. Not not too bad, actually, at the moment. But, uh, yeah, good to be, good to be back. Um... Well, I say it would be good to be back if Russia was still involved, but anyhow, um, it's important we um, pick apart how they've done, isn't it? So looking forward to getting into that at least. Yes, and uh, Toka Thielade, of course, the Russian Football News website editor, is joining me as per usual. Hey, Tom, how are you? Yeah, I'm okay, thank you. I'm, I'm, I think the sound's all okay. <laughs> as long as Andrew can hear me, that's where, that's where the main problem has been this morning. Um, so let's just kick it off, really. I mean, as we know, Russia... We all predicted that they finished third in this group, um, perhaps with one or three points. They got the three points against New Zealand, but then lost their subsequent two matches. So, Andrew, just a highs and lows, really. Just pick out a couple of good points that you felt from the Confederations Cup and a couple of bad points you felt from the Russian campaign. Well, I mean, for me, the the high point for me, well, I wouldn't say high point, but I'd say the high feature of the tournament for me was that we finally look like we're settled on a formation. Um, I mean, the, there were moments in games which, um, which really gave me a lot of, a lot of optimism about the Russian team against, okay, yes, it's New Zealand, the opening game, but, um, they, they did look like a potentially world beating cipher about 15, 20 minutes. And, and against Mexico, although they lost and most people thought they would lose, it was not really, in my opinion, a, a true reflection of the game. There was a, a horrific error by Akinfeyev to give um, Herving Lozano a goal, and Russia were on top for certain periods of that game. So, although the results weren't great, the, the formation being sorted out, and I do believe it's the right one. You know, we've spoken about before, haven't we, Thomas? Um, three men at the back, um, two up front. That seems to be what should work best. Um, Low point, well, uh, a few few too many mistakes, really. I guess the Akinfeyev mistake, really, because that's, well, it wasn't quite what cost us. Had um, uh, had we drawn, we would have still gone out. But um, low point for me, actually, no, I'll tell you what, my low point for me was not seeing enough of Alexei Medanchuk in the tournament. Um, and he was picked as our Young Russian Player of the Year and our, our um, Player for Season Awards. But um, And I really can't understand how he got I believe it was just one minute um, of total playing time so that's my highs and lows um, overall it's sort of not really much change from before the tournament um, there's some good some bad but I'm not as, I'm not as um, down downbeat about it as a lot of Russian supporters are and Togo what would you say are your highs and lows then of this tournament actually I want to get into a bit of Miranchuk as well because we were talking about it before we started recording and I was sort of I'd sort of said to you who do Miranchuk come on against and you said New Zealand in the first game. And I was like, he played a minute against New Zealand. But in the two games that Russia lost, 
you couldn't come on earlier and have a bit of an effect. So again, sort of take that point and then your, your highs and lows as well. Yeah, speaking of that New Zealand game, I I think my my different uh, highlight of this tournament that was that was Smallow's performance. I thought he was he was really good. He was he was a one man army against Mexico uh, against New Zealand in the first game. He was a, a constant threat against both Portugal and and Mexico. Although he did struggle in those games uh, against a tougher opponent, I think he proved that he can play at a much higher level than than the Russian Premier League. I think he proved that 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 he should move on there. That, that he really has the levels to do something really good if he if he moves to the right club and everything, and I hope a lot of scouts were watching him because I thought he was he was quite impressive. I mean, not only as a striker, not only as a finisher, but also participating in the build-up play, and he he was just a constant threat. As Andrew said, it, I wasn't surprised by by Russia losing against Mexico and and Portugal. If I if I was surprised by anything, it wasn't that it was that they didn't lose with more than one goal goal against Mexico and. I mean, they, they were in both games. Let's be, let's be honest. They they had very, some good moments in those games. Uh, about Milinchuk, as you said, he played that one minute. <laughs> it almost didn't matter. Uh, and I have to say that my low would be that um, not only that he didn't play, but that that Chancho wasn't more adventurous. That he didn't get more excitement into the into the team because against Portugal, it was this defensive was there three six one slash five. Four one. In uh, anyway, it was very defensive, and a player like Milinkovic could really have helped in those games against Mexico and Portugal because it was so obvious that Russia needed something. They needed a creative player on the midfield, especially with the goal foul. And and Milinkovic, he could just have been that player. It, it he could have taken that role, and I, I think it would have suited him very well. But instead, he went with Yurokin, uh, who, in my opinion, was perhaps the worst player uh, of the players who who received the playing time at the tournament. He was almost invisible, and that was yeah, that was disappointing. I, I think Milinkovic should have received the shot, and I think he would have done well. Yeah, Andrew Toka mentions Yerok in there. I have to admit, I was surprised that he started that final game against Mexico. I was expecting Milinkovic to come in and start. Well, I was hoping Milinkovic. I was actually I was expecting Yerok in to be fair, because I thought he'd revert back to that that New Zealand game. But I mean, what's your make on Yerok in then? Toka singled him out as the worst well, of the Russian players. Yeah, I mean, Toka picks him out as the the worst performer. And he's, he's he certainly didn't perform as well as he should have done. Uh, I'm, I'm a big admirer of him as a player in general. I think he's got he's got a kind of language style which not many people appreciate, but he's got a really good eye for goal. Usually, um, and I admit in this tournament he didn't play didn't play to his best. And the thing about Moranchuk is, I wanted him to have more minutes, not necessarily as a starter because. Um, I do find that he fades out of big games, high-pressure games, a little, little bit too often for my liking. I know he's a young player and he's got time to develop that sort of maturity, but perhaps he should have come on for Yudokin when Yudokin wasn't performing quite as well. Um, but, I mean, I can see the logic behind Yudokin playing at least from the start because he's got a bit of height and physicality. And if you notice the with the wingbacks, he clearly favours Samedov. Um, and Jericov as the first choice wingbacks, and neither of them have a great deal of pace, but have good delivery into the box, which again is only going to be useful if you're going to have somebody who can actually make use of it on the end. Smoloff on his own would not be enough. Um, Smoloff and Miranchuk as a front two, perhaps, would still probably not really be ideal for balls into the box. A three-man defence could, you know, head them away every time. But if you had Yadokin coming from slightly deeper from midfield, the theory. Behind him being that, I can understand he could have 
taken more of the brunt of the balls into the box um, and allowed Smoloff and, well, whether it's Moranchuk, Golovin, um, whoever it is in the box to pick up the pieces. But he didn't perform desperately well, I admit that. Um, but um, I still think he's worth his place in the squad. Uh, I just think, yeah, like Token mentioned, Chesov was just a bit, he was just a bit too defensive. Um, the Portugal lineup, we all groaned, didn't we, when we saw that, that lineup against Portugal. It was, that was the opportunity for Russia to really stamp down on the tournament and, um, just didn't take it, which is a real shame. Um, but Miranchuk's time will come and, uh, a good season this season and hopefully he'll be in the right frame of mind for next summer. Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about um, the Portugal game there, and I have to admit, I, I, I wasn't watching it because I was in, I was however many thousands of feet in the air <laughs> on a plane, obviously. Um, but I mean, the first half was apparently terrible, but there was a big improvement in the second half, too. So, what, why do you think that was? Well, the first half, Russia were very defensive. I mean, it was quite obvious to if he wanted to, so the game to stay at no low for as long as possible. Um, we saw it with the lineup, we saw it with uh, the mentality the players came up with, and then they went down after what, what was it like eight minutes, seven and a half, uh, just the worst possible start to the game. Uh, and it seemed that really, that the players were quite shocked about it. They, when you watch that first half, I mean, you really didn't miss anything, Thomas. That was horrible. Um, the players, they didn't know what to do. They were running around like headless chickens on the pitch. They were, the passes were terrible. The, Everything was just poor, and and it was like there was no ideas. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to do with the head. The ball. They just kicked it aimlessly up at at Smolov, who was who was alone with uh, with a couple of Portuguese defenders. So yeah, it was hopeless. And the second half, it got better. Um, it seemed like Chichester wanted. He changed some things. Players knew what to do. And also, I think the most important thing probably was that they. I think he told them that they could go out and play without pressure. That hey, let's. Let's just go out and, and see if we can get a result here because the players didn't look much freer. It was like there was no change for them. There was nothing keeping them down to just play football. And it was enjoyable to watch. They they did create some good chances and they should have scored that game. But but when that said, I mean, I know it's easy to, to get caught up and, and, and think how great Russia were in that second half and oh, how they dominated Portugal, the European champions. But at the end of the day, I, I think, okay, they did create a few chances, but I think Portugal, they still had things under control. I mean, they they didn't have the ball. They, they lost position. Russia controlled the position in the, in, the, in at least in the beginning of the second half. But Portugal still looked pretty comfortable. Let's be honest. Um, the Portugal's defense were never really that tested. And yeah, it, it was still Portugal was still the best side on the on the, on the pitch that day. There's, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, I mean, Andrew, I'll I'll come back to the New Zealand game before because we've sort of gone this in the, the wrong order. But what what was your take on the Portugal game then? Were, were you a sort of I don't know, optimistic well, in that second half? Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, this, the second half clearly was a much more spirited performance. And, and I mean, actually, I'm going to, tr- I'm going to try and stick up a little bit for Chichesov here. He did go too defensively. Um, he went, he went too far, but the, the first goal, um, well, the, the only goal in what, the eighth minute, it was, in my opinion, just terrible, terrible defensive marking. It was just a lack of concentration. It wasn't as important had actually carved Russia open and had they not scored that goal and okay it wasn't wasn't entertaining stuff but clearly Chichester's plan was to keep it keep it at nil-nil until halftime then open them up a little, little bit more um, I actually think the concept behind that wasn't completely flawed he just went too far with it in the in the, the selection team selection um, 
and was undone by by poor marking. I think it was Georgi Jikia, um just left Ronaldo open. Ronaldo is one of the best headers in, in the world, and to leave him open for balls into the box is just suicidal. Um, so, I mean, okay, Portugal were in control is all I would say. I wouldn't go any further than that with them. Um, um, Russia certainly could have got more out of the game. Um, really, it's a lack of concentration there and a terrible individual error in the game against Mexico. And then suddenly, Russia are unbeaten in the tournament. So, you know, it's, it's fine margins. Um, and there's a lot of predictable doom and gloom over the tournament for Russia. But, uh, you know, if, you've got to look beyond the specific scoreline in this tournament because it's, it's Confederations Cup. It's a chance to test out things and, and see how you, what stage you're at. And I don't actually think Russia are that far away. Just simply slightly more confident team selections. Um, iron out the, the errors. Don't forget Russia's back three between them. None of them had 10 caps before this tournament. Um, so, you know, the more they play together, um, in what limited time there is left, admittedly, some of the better. Um, the more confidence Chichesov gets with his team selections, the more faith he has in, in Moranchuk, the, you know, the sooner Zagorov comes back from injury, you know, it, it, things are not going to be quite as, as, quite as bad as, as people are making out. I strongly believe that. Um, just more confidence is needed for manager and players. Just a quick point on the Portugal game before we move on to, I'll move to New Zealand next, is that we talk about whether the formation was too defensive. I mean, Toka, Chechoslov loses either way, whatever formation he picks, because we've said, oh, he was too defensive. But if he went a bit more gung-ho, we'd say, why did you do that? You left yourselves really open against one of the best attacking lineups in Europe. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. You'd lose either way. It's a, yeah, it's, it's a horrible job, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> as soon as you lose, you'll get criticised. That's that's a problem. But I don't know if you remember this, but before this tournament, I said that the main the main target for Russia should be not to, to advance from the group or win the Confederations Cup. It should be to get some, uh, to spark some excitement among the, the Russian fans, the population. And, and that's something you can only do by, uh, that's something best done by playing some really good football. I mean, you saw how people got really excited during the second half. Well, we're actually pressing Portugal back. We're creating some chances. Okay, well, Russia lost, but at least that, that's, that, it gave the fans something to be optimistic about. Um, and I think people could accept defeats because no one was expected. Let's be honest, no one was expected this Russian team to to win the tournament or do anything noteworthy. Maybe except Mutko, I don't know. So I thought, okay, let's perhaps they could go out and maybe not play like go all in, but play some, try to play some good football and and show the fans and and the players themselves also as well that they, they can actually do some things. They are decent players. They they know how to score some goals or create chances. I mean, I, th- I thought it would be good to, to see if you could they could get some, some support, get the people behind them because we, we saw also during the games that okay it wasn't it, it, it isn't the most popular Russian national team. <laughs> that's 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 unfortunately the truth. Yeah, don't get me started about uh, Vitaly Mukko by the way. Numerous run-ins, well not personal run-ins, but numerous opinions on him that I, that I hold that I won't go into now. But I mean, Andrew, moving to that New Zealand game and I'm going to challenge your optimism because you'll probably say, oh that was a really good performance really showed their their flair and things, but I'm going to say, next year's World Cup, it's not going to be full of New Zealand's. It's going to be full of teams like Mexico, who we'll get onto, who are not top world beaters, but a decent team that will generally be better than Russia. Do you see what I'm saying? So that, I mean, going winning against New Zealand is not really relevant. Do you see what I mean? I don't know, really. I mean, New Zealand, first, I mean, there's no skipping around the issue. Russia has to be beating New Zealand 
it's not being arrogant. It's not being over the top. It's just the, the nature of the fact that New Zealand just aren't as highly qualified as a, a side as Russia are. But, you know, what I'd say is that the, the thing about this tournament that is quite different to most other tournaments um, around the world, internationally anyway, is that there's such a range of approaches to the tournament. Russia had the pressure of, like Toka said, and I actually agree with him on that, that the main target was to try and win over some fans, um, you know, win over their faith in the team. New Zealand come along, they're the underdogs, and they really wanted to fight and battle for it. And I just, I, I still think there's, there's something to be said for, for being able to control a game and win a game against the side that are going all out to frustrate you and do the opposite of what you would like them to do. Um, yeah, I mean, okay, it wasn't the most fluid performance, but it was, it was good enough. It was satisfactory. Um, and the opening 15 minutes, there was a hell of a lot of energy, and that was that was good to see to start with. Um, so, yeah, I mean, next next summer um, for the World Cup, you know, we're like, like you say, we'll see high-quality opposition. And, it, you know, then it's slightly more of a common playing field in terms of what everybody's approach is. Obviously, everybody's going to try and win. It's the most competitive environment you can get. Um, and I think by next summer, the team squad to Chesov himself will be much more settled with a clearer idea um, of exactly what approach they're going to play, you know, take for each game. So the New Zealand game, for me, it was it did the job it was supposed to do. I had hoped we'd score more because um, I actually thought that Goldifords was going to come into the equation and 2-0 is not really enough. But, well, in, the, in hindsight, it was, good, yeah, like I say, good enough, but not, not, not a lot more than that. But I don't think there's any reason to knock the the result just because it was New Zealand who are a lowly team. Um, they you know low teams they have a fighting spirit and in the end Russia overcame that. Oh, don't get me wrong, Andrew. I, I love the underdog. I was sort of when for example when England lost to Iceland in the Euros last year, I was slightly pleased because I love that underdog story. I love all those underdog stories, but but I just think that in ter- for Russia people need to slow down in getting a bit excited about it. I mean, I'm not sure people are particularly excited about it, really. But, no, I, sp- I suppose, um, I I suppose it's just the context of the tournament, because they lost the other two games. That's why they're excited, I suppose. Well, I mean, the, the, the difference is um, between being a, a Russian national team follower, supporter, and, and certainly as an English national team supporter, is that there just isn't the expectation um, of Russia at the moment. And I've argued before in the parts that this is, a, this is something that Chichesov can use to his advantage in the sense that um, I don't, you know, I, I want to restore the faith in the team. I always want there to be a higher expectation because that shows that you're on the right path. But, you know, in the short term, it means when you, you know, perhaps don't play brilliantly, but you're putting in the effort and the intent is there that, you know, you won't be, you won't be slaughtered for it like you would be in England. So if England won 2-0 against New Zealand, it all held great loose. It would just be well, this is a crisis, what are we going to do? Um, we should be beating them 7-8-0. And there's never going to be that reaction in Russia. And that, thing, uh, that I think, is, 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 is a good thing. But, um, well, I, I don't know. Right, New Zealand game, it was a test of a sort, of a different type. It was not really about the result, but about keeping your composure when you ought to be and the pressure is on to win the game. Because there is a pressure to beat these low teams. You're d- demanded to beat them. Um you know, the longer it goes on with just a one goal advantage, a different type of pressure starts to build, like a pressure on yourself. 
and that I think was a worth yeah, it was a worthwhile test. So they passed, not with flying colours, but they did pass. So that's better than nothing, I guess. And Toko, what was your take on the New Zealand game then? I had to go, I think it's important not to get carried away as Andrew said. It was a good win. It was very important to start off with a victory, especially against the weakest side of the group. Um, I don't think you can use it for much more than that. It, it was a good victory. And I wrote, I recently wrote a piece on how Russia had performed at, at the big tournaments. And unfortunately, it, it's not like they get very, very many victories. They, the Euro 2008 was the only time Russia have ever advanced from the group stage of a major tournament, World Cup, uh, European Championship, and then the Confederations Cup this summer. So, Okay, winning that game was that was that was important. That was good. Um, but yeah, it's not like they're going to meet uh, opponents like New Zealand every single game in the future. So I don't think can use it as much more than that. But good start to the tournament. It's good to see them beat an opponent. I mean, I, I feared they would get a they would struggle, but New Zealand was a it was a worse sight than I expected. I have to be honest about that. I thought it would be more like the World Cup 2010. That was the last time I saw them when they went, when they had that three draws. One of them against Italy went out unbeaten, but it seemed that their level has really dropped since then. Yeah, I remember that World Cup. And uh, Slovakia against Italy was a big highlight of mine for that World Cup as well. But um, moving on to that final game then, Toko, I'll come to you first, because Andrew, you had, a, you had a lot of talk time on the, on the New Zealand game, but obviously I will come to you. Um, that, the first half against Mexico in Kazan looked pretty good, Toko, but then second half for me, just completely collapsed and I, I can't still quite can't quite figure out what went wrong After, I mean that goal the the second goal with the Akin Fair mistake which calls his position into question by the way that goal just seemed to really drop the confidence and then Zhirkov's red card on the 68th minute very stupid he wasn't even really going for a big aerial challenge and shoved his elbow into the into the Mexico player which put them down to 10 men and therefore they had to abandon the tactic really and it was just a mess in the second half and, it, and it's typical, isn't it? I mean, Russia, they didn't have that, that game under control. They were in the game. And then something completely insane like that happens. And we have seen it. We have seen it so many times before. And it it's just absurd, really. I don't know what to say. It was the same at the World Cup and against that, in that game against Algeria and the Euro. And yeah, I know we're going to discuss Akifir later. So I don't want to go too much into that. But. I mean, I, I was, I was, it was, it was a strange situation. I was shocked, and then at the same time, I, I think I was subconsciously just sitting waiting for something like that to happen because, okay, there we go. Of course, I can favor someone make something completely insane. But yeah, Russia were in the in the first half. I think that was actually quite good. That was a, a good a good performance to start very well, and 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 makes it. Mexico was definitely a, a team that could have been, especially on a better day, because they, they I don't think Mexico was too good for Russia on, on, on a specific day, but yeah, when something like that happens, it's just, I, I guess it's impossible to win. Then uh, Shirkov got that brain dead red card later, and when you're, I think Shirkov was the oldest or the second oldest player on the entire squad, and then he goes out and, and gets a red card like that, I mean, he should be one of the leaders, and instead he, he just lets down the entire team, that's, that's so disappointing. Yeah, I mean, Andrew, I'm not really one that likes to look for scapegoats, but everybody's looking at Akin Fev, and I'm thinking, actually, innocent mistakes like that happen with Akin Fev, and like Toka says, we will come on to that. But for me, Zhirkov, as Toka says, again, correctly, the wisdom of the Toka, um, Zhirkov's experience, to go and get that second yellow like that, it meant that Russia had to go from their 3-5-2, which was working quite well, and that we've seen work well in the past. They then had to switch to, a, I think it's a, what they went for in the end, was a 4-4-1, essentially, because Polos had just come on, 
I thought, oh, okay, Pollos, decent player, off for the ineffective Buhara. But then Pollos was forced to play on the left because of that that red card. So it's, I would look more at Zhirkov than Akinfeyev here. Well, I don't know, really. I mean, I, I think Zhirkov's, um, Zhirkov's sending off, it, it was it was a sending off, but it wasn't sort of, it wasn't a crazy, ludicrously dirty challenge. That was just, it was quite, it's quite astonishing to me. Um, I mean, these, you know, mistakes do happen, but that sort of mistake is, you've, you've got time. You're, you're, look, you're watching the ball come towards you. You can see a defender and an attacker coming towards the ball, and you know it's going to be outside the box, so you can't use your hands. How on earth are you going to control what happens from it? That's where an experienced keeper, and don't forget that was it, Akin Ferris, was it 100th or 101st game for Russia? Um, it's just, it just defies all belief for me that he would consider still coming forward to the ball. Um, if, if, it, if it was just simply one attacker coming forward, there were no defenders inside for whatever reason, that slightly changes your decision making. But I, I just thought it was idiotic. That for me was, that for me was what really cost it because Mexico weren't really battering on Russia's door, at, you know, for, for any significant period of the game. Um, and, you know, even if they had gone, it, it, well, even when they went down to 10 men, if it's still been 1 1, it's still easily within reach. And especially, like you say, with a player like Pollos coming on, he's, um, Pollos is a fantastic player, counter attacking player. And, you know, he, he will run, he will run at the defense. He will cause problems. Um, I still think if it had stayed at 1 1 at that stage, then I, I think, um, uh, I think Russia could, could have gone on to win it still. Um, so I'm, I'm afraid I, I, I disagree. I think the blame is is significantly with Akinfey from that point. I don't understand what went through his head at that point. Jirkos um, got blame to take, but uh, for me, Akinfey is more to blame. Well, Toka, we seem to can't avoid talking about it, so we might as well move on to one of the topics we've got written down, which is um, Akinfey's place. I mean, I mean, going on to Andrew's point, just making making a couple of comments on that. I mean, for some reason, Akin Fair went to kick the ball. And for me, I'm thinking, why don't you use your head? Your head is higher than your, your foot is going to get. That was a very odd decision. And this really calls his future into question. Although I will say that in uh, post-match, when asked about it, manager Stanislav Cherchesov said that Akin Fair's future was safe. And so did the, the oracle of Russian football, that is Vitaly Mutko, if, he, if his, his place to comment, apparently. But um, what's your view on Akin Fair's future? I, I still think that Akinfeyev is, is maybe not by far, but he's definitely the best Russian goalkeeper. Is I think he shows us on a on a on a, on a daily basis in the, in the Russian Premier League. We, I remember still that um, that that victory in Kazan was it two years ago when this came on the title, and Akinfeyev had that amazing save at the end of the game, which effectively secured the, the victory for Siska and the title for them. And that's that's the kind of goalkeeper I want to see because. When he, when he plays like that, he's amazing. In the, in the Russian Premier League, he's amazing. But then he also has this anti-record in the Champions League. Was is fifty games now in a row without a clean sheet? And we see him in the World Cup, and the Euros, and the Confederations Cup doing these crazy things. It's like he's a completely different player. He he goes from being uh, a, a a wonderful, almost world-class goalkeeper, and then he just loses his head. And I don't I don't know what it's, it's like. Something is, it changes in him. Uh, like he's a different player when it when it really counts, but but if you look at his his normal level, he's back, he he is the best goalkeeper Russia has, and unlike all the other guys, I mean, I saw a lot of people on Twitter mention, for example, Achim Reprov from from Spartak or Belenov or all these decent goalkeepers, experienced goalkeepers in in the Russian Premier League. But the big difference is that 
I can say he really has that experience. As you said, 100, 101 national team games. He has played for the national team since 2004. He's played Champions League. He has played the UEFA Cup. He has won the UEFA Cup. He has so much experience from the highest level. And that that's something that none of his, his rivals has. And that's his big advantage. But I don't know. I think perhaps it could be time for someone to challenge him because... If he if he keeps doing if he keeps making these mistakes, I mean he can have as as good as a a normal level, but it's just not really worth anything when you can't trust him when when he just goes out and give go crucial goals away like these ones. So I, I perhaps I'd like to see him uh, to just give some of the old goalkeepers, uh, young goalkeepers, a chance. For example, Anton Mitrushkin in uh, FC and in Switzerland had a wonderful season, and he's been linked to to some Bundesliga clubs now. So perhaps. If he does move to a good club and get some playing time, perhaps you could give him a shot. I think maybe what Akinfeev lacks is, is some competition because he knows his part. He's the absolute number one at both this guy and the national team. Maybe that has, has gotten to his head somehow. Yeah, I mean, Andrew, after that, uh, the match against Mexico, I saw a lot of Siska fans on Twitter. Pray, I mean, as Toga says, praising his form for Siska. And just how well he's done. And, you know, Toka mentioned that save against, um, I think it was against Rubin when they secured the title ahead of Rostov. That's the one you're talking about, isn't it, Toka? Yes, exactly. Yeah. But, I mean, Andrew, would you go with Toka that perhaps Akinfeyev needs a bit more competition on the national team level? I think competition on some level is never going to hurt. I, I agree with Toka. He is, he is un, uh, undisputed the, the best Russian keeper around. I still think he deserves to know that he is the number one. And a goalkeeper's position is also quite different to a lot of others, isn't it, really? Because you've got to give a goalkeeper a lot of confidence because, you know, he's got to dictate to his defence where he wants them and the defenders have got to trust him. And I think defenders still do trust Akin Um But, you know, I mean, Thomas, you and I, um, as Englishmen, we've watched Joe Hart for a number of years be more or less unchallenged for the... England number one spot until until what two or three years ago when he was um, when he was dropped and and I think it did a lot of good and it happened at club level for him too so Akinfeev he's always going to play number one for Siska and I think he should basically for most games should still be the number one for Russia too I don't think that's in question but yeah a bit of, a bit of competition because of all the positions on the pitch kind of frustratingly almost there's probably the biggest wealth of all is is a goalkeeper. You know, Toka mentioned Mitrushkin, and you've got Kritsuk, you've got Selikov, who's not even started for Spartak, uh, having signed for them yet, um, or certainly not very many times. Um, so there's plenty of options there, and it would almost seem a bit of a waste to have so many talented players in one position and give them no hope at all. Because don't forget, Akifei is still only 30. He could play for another 8, 9, 10 years um, quite feasibly. So a bit of competition, yes. But I still think he is the number one. Can we retrain all those goalkeepers outfield players if they're so good? That that seems like quite a good plan. <laughs> I think that would be a good option. Um, and <laughs> they couldn't do worse than some players in some situations. So it might be worth a go. No, it's true. But I, I don't have a direct quote in front of me, by the way. But I remember Akinfeyev after the match. He, he pretty much just said, goalkeepers make mistakes, Toka. So you can't really have too much of a blame on that. Oh, I guess that's true then. That that's a good that's a good way to secure his own position and of course go of course goalkeepers make mistakes and it is an unforgivable position because you know when a goalkeeper makes a mistake it it usually gives away a goal and that's something people will remember if a defender or a midfielder makes a mistake people will it'll be easier forgotten but 
It's just the thing is, Akafem is he is the most experienced player on the team, on the Russian national team. He is he's just one of the stars. He is he should be the leader. Uh, he's been the captain in the past. So it's just when he, he shouldn't make mistakes like that. You can accept that from a young goalkeeper. But one mistake, that's it. I mean, that's fair enough. But the thing is that Akafem has made a lot of mistakes in a lot of uh, very important games. It's it's not something he does. It it's not a in a in a friendly against Qatar or against the Baltic Cup champions Lithuania. Oh yeah, they're they the a great stage. team, mate. Yeah, it's the biggest stage in the most important game, and that's that's where the biggest the best players have to step up. That's why you you need these world class performances from I can say from smaller from the leaders of the team, and then he goes out and does exactly the opposite, and he's done that on numerous occasions. That's the problem. It's not just one mistake, because when he makes this mistake, you also think back to. To the, the to the uh, Euro last year, to the World Cup, to the anti record for Siska. I mean, that's a problem. He has a lot of he has made a lot of mistakes, and it's not just one mistake. But because of course that could be forgiven. Yeah, because you mentioned how the goalkeeper's got that vulnerable position. Now, just but just to finish on the second fair topic, what I'd say is that I'm at the end, of, quite near the end of the match, substitute Igor Smolnikov pretty much missed an empty net, but everyone's forgetting about that because of the Akin Fair mistake. That chance for Smolnikov is almost on par, really, that mistake. Wouldn't you say, Andrew? Oh, yeah, that's, that's a very good point, actually. Yeah, um, I'd actually glossed over that when you asked me about the Mexican game. But it was uh, it was just one of those things where you just you cannot quite work out how he's managed to miss it. He had all the time in the world to watch it come over. Uh, and that was a shocking miss. It was. Um, and, you know, it's, um, these, that, that's the thing. In a weird way, it's going to sound strange, but in a weird way, it gives me a little bit more confidence, optimism. The fact that Russia were beaten by, you know, I would say either lapses of concentration or individual moments that cost them rather than entire performances, which were endemic to the entire entire result. Um, Smolnikov scores that. Akinfeyev doesn't make his mistake. And magically, Russia have beaten Mexico in the semi-finals. It, you know, the performance overall, at very least, I think, merited... Um, Parity with Mexico, so you know it's you don't. It's frustrating beyond belief to see those sort of individual moments. But I'd rather see individual moments cost us games than performances, um, because in the long run, that's what's going to improve the fortunes of the team. Um, you know, if you win by lucky individual moments, that's it, it feels a bit hollow. So, I mean, I'm, I'm perhaps clutching your straw a bit, but I do still believe that's true. Um, so, Smolnikov, uh, yeah, he's going to be. He's going to be thinking. He's probably thanking Akinfeyev for his mistake in that he's taken the attention off his miss a bit. But both of them certainly uh, should hang their heads in shame over that. I think. So now we move on to the the final topic of this discussion. It's again focusing on an individual. It's the manager Stanislav Chechesov, who has gained equal amounts of praise and disapproval. I would say. Now, I mean, people have said he's sort of well, in Mukko, for example, <laughs> bringing him up again has said that he's doing a lot with a new team. And Toker, it's hard to argue against that. But the uh, one criticism that I've read, and I, I would agree with, is that he's changed, he, he had three games in the Confeds, and he's had three different forward lines, which to me seems very odd. Because for some reason he brought Bukharov on against Mexico. I don't know whether he thought a more direct style would work, but it, but it, it didn't work, and, he, and Polos came on. I mean, what's your take on that, the three different forward lines? I think it's a it's a very very fair criticism, and I think it all goes back to something we we spoke about this earlier in the um, before the tournament. And I feel like I keep mentioning up mentioning these things we spoke about earlier, but I think it 
I think it all goes back to the fact when the entire year we have seen him, or the entire season, we've seen him experiment and, and change things up. And even going into this tournament, it really didn't seem like he knew what he wanted to do. I mean, he goes with Bukhara for one game, pulls another. Against Portugal, he used a formation he, he, he has never used before. I mean, it, it, it wasn't something we saw in, in any of the friendlies. So that, and that was, that was frustrating for me because I thought, okay, well, he had this entire year to figure out how, exactly how he wanted to play with which players. And of course, you get injuries and you have to make small changes from, uh, here and there. But yeah, it, it really, it just didn't seem like he, he knew what to do. And then he immediately regretted playing Bukharov and, and had to start substitute him and yeah I, I think that, I, I thought that was quite disappointing too uh, I have to I have to bring you up to I have to sort of make a bit of an embarrassment of you here Toka because I saw on your Twitter timeline before that game against Mexico that you thought Bukhara was the right decision so what made you think that because I have to admit I was very shocked and I, I thought it was the wrong decision oh, okay well I think it was the fact that, that Bukhara and, and Smolov supplemented each other better than, than Palos and Smolov um, because they had some different strength uh, uh, Smolov and, and Palos are both Relatively quick players who who are good when they have the ball, who can, you can um, fast players. While Bukharov is is more of a classic target man, so you have that uh, fast and and a large and a large guy up front. Man. I thought that was okay. This is promising, but but clearly it didn't work. I thought also perhaps part of the reason for that is that Russia really didn't get that many crosses. Uh, when you play a guy like Bukharov, obviously you need to to feed him in the box because he's not a guy who goes out and and creates something on his own. He he really needs the, the service from the wings and from the midfielders and it just he just didn't get that perhaps also you could say that had the played with Milinchuk in that game for example going back to something we spoke about earlier playing with a more creative midfielder that could also have helped him because yeah he doesn't create things on his own he needs the service and from Eurokin he didn't get anything and and from the wings the wings didn't really get open but also which also I think goes back to the fact that there was very little creativity on the central midfield and it just it, it does make the heart very difficult for for Bukharov, but also Smolov as well. And yeah, that's all. All these all these different problems we talk about, they're, they're all linked. That's <laughs> so there are definitely some problems to fix, and it'll be it'll be a huge task going up this uh, coming up this season. I mean, once again, they'll only play friendlies. I don't know how many they have arranged already. I hope they'll meet some better opponents, get some uh, get some quality. To games, but uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it how it moves forward. I mean, Andrew, we spoke about. Church. I mean, you actually weren't on the podcast at the time. You, I don't know. You were you were on holiday. You were taking leave, or, or you just didn't want to be with us. But on a previous podcast, back in an international friendly time, um, we had uh, John who came on the podcast who said Chechesov should go. But I'm thinking actually, this Confeds, although Russia have got knocked out, I think he's had a lot of redeeming features for it. Yeah, I I agree. I think. The progress he's made has been slower than people would have liked. But you, when you say slow, it sounds a long time, a year. But when it's in international management and all you've got are friendlies, I haven't counted exactly, but I think it's something like 11 games, 10, 11 games he's had, including this Confederations Cup. Um, it's not, it's really not that much time. And, you know, like, unlike, pardon me, unlike most other nations, Russia, of course, don't forget, has a three month winter break and to manage getting players back into the right frame of mind and fitness and match fitness after that that's a that's a that's a struggle too um he's been bold he's got rid of some some big names you know the Beriksutskis and Ignashevich things to mind um he was I mean look, he, whether it was the right choice or not the fact 
fact that he was bold enough to resist the temptation other managers may have had to call up Igor Denisov, um, I think that itself in itself was good because you know you want a manager to stand by his decisions and actually believe in them. And he's made enough changes. It's taken him a while, but he's got to three five two, and that's obviously the right choice. Um, not just because we called it here on Russian Football News, but um, because it just makes sense with the players. I think, I think if he has arrived at that place. I think if we call it on Russian Football News, Andrew, then it's generally the right decision. I think that's the. I think that's how Cherchesov sees it. It's, it's, the, it's the it's the accepted wisdom of the day. So um, yeah, I mean, perhaps he's listening to our pod, um, or will be listening to this when it comes out. So uh, if if you are Stanny, keep going, mate. Um, just uh, try and make decisions a bit quicker and a bit more adventurously. Um, otherwise, I'd say yeah, fair enough. And I definitely don't think. I mean, what on earth could possibly be achieved by by sacking? I mean, two years in my view is still not a great deal of time when you're not playing competitive football um, to prepare a whole team. And don't forget, this isn't just picking up a team that's ready to go. The Russian national team two years ago was in a dire state after Capello um, and the faith in the team was terrible. So it was a much bigger job than usual and without competitive football. Two years, I don't actually think is a lot of, a long time to really completely overhaul the whole mentality of the side. So he's done as I would say about what I expected, if anything, a little bit better. Um, so time is running out, but I have faith in him. So definitely my vote's with him. I generally side with you there. I think Andrew's done it, like you said, not a long time in the job. And by the time he's gone to the World Cup next year, they'll have had just these as competitive matches, done a lot of experimentation. I think it's only eight or nine players left since last year's Euro. So a lot of old faces shift out, a lot of trust put into new players but I mean Toka there are still criticisms of him I like how I always come for you for the negative view but um, what what do you think he needs to do then after this tournament where do you think he needs to look at things yeah, yeah you really don't give me any give me many chances to be positive be positive, be positive. if you want to be positive <laughs> yeah, Toka it's fine <laughs> if you want to be positive do it it's fine I, I just know you like being negative <laughs> well yeah I think first of all I'd like to see him Get this set of point. I'd like to see him get for Champions League and shoot more involved. Um, I'd like to see him perhaps challenge Akin Fifth. That's really an important issue. Most importantly, however, and that's this is probably something we won't see from him. I'd like to see him challenge Mutko a bit. For example, when when Capello, you can say a lot of bad things about Capello's spell at the uh, as Russian national team manager, but he did really challenge the uh, the Russian football union. He did get a lot of great things through for the national team. Um, and then Slutsky well put a lot of pressure on after he was okay admittedly after he was uh, after Euro when he spoke very openly about the problems with the foreigner limit he said I don't remember the exact quote but something like if you could change one thing in Russian football it would be that he would remove the, the foreigner limit and I thought that was very important that he spoke out so far we haven't seen Chetyshev speak out about anything after the after the loss to Mexico he was well admir- as admirable as it he just he took the entire blame on himself and I don't think that's fair. I mean, I think the problems, the problems in Russian football are, are much deeper than Chechenev and three-five-two or four-three-three, and, and this is also something we spoke about before. But we have all these structural problems. I mean, we, we lack proper talent development. We have tons of foreigner naturalizations instead of we actually have some forward-thinking, long-term planning on how to develop the Russian football and, and Russian players, uh, and. And then, of course, the Russian uh, the Russian Premier League foreigner limit, which simply doesn't it doesn't help the players, the Russian players, as it was intended to do. And there are all these issues that need to be 
needs to be fixed. And I'd really like to just have to to play an active role in fixing these things. I don't know, of course, I don't know what he says behind closed doors, but in the public, he is very much McCall's man, and and I'd like to see him challenge him a bit because these are crucial things. And in my opinion, Russian football will never move forward. I mean, we can see they can have a good tournament, but in the last picture, Russian football will never move forward until they fix all these deep structural problems because that's what that that's what really holds Russian football back. It's it's not the coach or or a national team uh, formation stuff like that. It's 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 so much deeper than that. So what what's your positive thing that you wanted to say? You were you were begging to say something positive. <laughs> I think my positive thing was that uh, well, Chesterov is not entirely to blame for this because the problems go much deeper. So sacking him wouldn't it wouldn't change anything in the big picture. You could get a new coach and maybe he could use some new formations, but he would still face the same stru- the same problems with the players, the same st- structural problems. So they might as well just keep Chesterov because it it, it there's no one, there's no obvious replacements, and, and in the big picture, I don't think it would change anything. It wouldn't solve any problems sacking him and starting all over again. That's that's not the solution. That would be that would be the easy solution again, actually. Just trying to, as, as as someone once told me, trying to to fix a broken album by putting a bandage on it it simply wouldn't help. I gave you the chance to be positive, and you you were still negative, so I'm not going to give you another one. But um, <laughs> but Andrew, what what would you advise Chesov to, to go forward with then? Well, I would simply advise him to keep doing what he's doing, but just be a bit more adventurous. I, I wouldn't change a great deal. I think he should trust, just like Toka said, trust Miranchuk more. Um, I think it was a missed opportunity. That was a mistake not to give him game time in the Confederations Cup. He should trust Miranchuk more. Um, but I, I take Toka's point about Needing to to challenge the running of uh, of Russian football at pretty much all levels, but you've also got to be you've got to be a bit smarter than that, really, in a sense. Because if you if you challenge too much too quickly, you're, you're going to be out of a job. They'll find the first excuse possible to fire you. Um, and I think one thing that is needed is stability. So, in a sense, for the, in the short term, I, I think self preservation is actually probably in the better interest. Uh, in the long run, as long as he can just marry that with a bit more adventure, a bit more confidence in the players, because whatever anybody says, Russia do have some exceptionally talented, creative attacking players. Some of them tend to be injured too much um, and some have behavioural issues, but the fact is they are there. It's not as if there's a complete dearth of quality. Um, so if he can get some confidence out of them uh, and keep to the formation, 3-5-2, uh, don't Go back to the three six one, which we saw against Portugal or whichever formation it was, um, and and good things will come. Um, so yeah, keep going. Basically, is what I would say. Okay, perfect. So I think that pretty much allows us to round off the podcast. But as we're going on to the World Football Index here, um, we haven't really done this for for a while, and because we're going to the new platform, we're going to do it now. I'm going to give us an opportunity to to sort of publicise ourselves. So first of all, I'll just go through the, all the the sort of the website stuff, if you like. We've got um, the Twitter feed, which is at Russ Football News. Lots of updates on there. Lots of Confederations Cup updates on there, even not involving Russia. But because it's in Russia, we're trying to really keep on top of it. Um, we've got the Russian Football News Facebook page, which is uh, Russ. We just search Russian Football News. And then, of course, RussianFootballNews.com 
is the website. And then, uh, Andrew, the Instagram is Russ Football News, the same as the Twitter, isn't it? Am I right in thinking? Yeah, yeah, same as that, yeah. Um, yeah, the, the Instagram page, actually, it's, it's quite interesting because, you know, Thomas, you've been at a few of the games. Danny has been at a few games. Ilya has. I've been at some games. And, you know, we'll continue to be through the season. So we'll hopefully update that with some more pictures, you know, on the ground. So that's quite, it should be interesting to follow. So, yeah, it's definitely one to look at. Perfect. And now we go on to the, the more individual things, if you like. So, uh, Twitter handles, I'll come to you, Toka. Your, your personal Twitter handle for the, for the new WFI people. You can find me at, at Toka Dele. It's that, uh, that's, uh, T-O-K-E-T-H-E-I-L-A-D-E. Perfect. And Andrew? My Twitter handle is at Andrew M-I-J Flint. Okay. And that's all just one word, yeah? Yeah, all together, yeah. Perfect. And I am Thomas underscore Giles, which is G-I-L-E-S underscore UK. So Thomas underscore Giles underscore UK. So um, anyway, we hope you've enjoyed this uh, this latest edition of the Russian Football News Podcast. Of course, the first on the World Football Index. So you'll see more of us on there now. And hopefully we'll, hopefully this is going out to some new people. So anyway, uh, we hope you've enjoyed this episode and we will see you on the next podcast. <laughs> Идет футбольный матч, летит на поле мяч.